Section 9 of the United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The World's Story, Volume 13, The United States, edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 9. When Cornwallis Surrendered, 1781, by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Spring and summer sped by quietly enough, with much visiting back and forth. But one crisp morning in early October, our neighbor of Berkeley rode up to our door and plunged at once into the heart of the business which had brought him. You know, I suppose, Mrs. Randolph, he began, that that old fox Cornwallis is caught at last at Yorktown and must soon surrender. Yes, thank God, said my mother. "'Twill be such a sight as may never again be witnessed in America. "'I am going to take my boy to see it, "'and I should be glad to have yours too if you'll let him go.' "'Oh, mother!' I cried. "'She looked at us a moment with frightened eyes. "'Take my boy into the midst of the fighting?' she protested. "'Oh, not so bad as that, madam,' laughed Mr. Harrison. "'We will view it all from a perfectly safe distance. "'I will answer for that. "'May he go?' I think his good humor and courtesy, as much as the passionate pleading in my eyes, won her over. "'Would you like to go, Stuart?' she asked, and I knew from her look that she consented. "'Right, madam,' cried our visitor heartily, as I threw my arms about her. "'You are right not to deny the boy.' My cup of happiness was full to overflowing, and as we rolled away that afternoon in the great Harrison coach— i fear it was only my mother who wept at parting that was an enchanted journey down the peninsula and i was almost sorry that it had come to an end when toward evening of the second day we rumbled up to oldham mr samuel harrison's place some few miles above yorktown on the river such a sight as awaited us the next morning when we were led forth to view the contending armies from the top of a little hill near the bank of the york which the french had evacuated the day before in their advance we could see a great part of their position quite clearly on the right were our troops with the artillery in the centre near the commander's quarters there the french lines began artillery first and then the infantry stretching to the very bank of the river below us Away in the distance we could dimly see the British works closely girdling the little town, and still beyond this a half-dozen British men-of-war lay anchored in the stream. Far out on the bay we could just discern the white sails of the blockading squadron of French ships. Mr. Harrison pointed out to us how our troops were ever creeping nearer and nearer to the British works, but he had more important things to do, so he left us presently, confiding us to the care of old Shad, and warning us not to leave the hillock where we were stationed. We had small wish to do so, and we sat for hours looking at the scene, until suddenly, away on the right, the artillery began to thunder. The fire ran along the line until every battery, American and French alike, was pouring shot and shell into the British works as fast as the sweating men could serve the guns. The enemy replied but feebly, and after a time fell silent altogether. 
a dense cloud of smoke settled over the ramparts and was carried slowly out to sea where it lay banked against the horizon like a great thundercloud we ate the lunch that shad had brought for us and spent the afternoon watching the cannonading Mr. Harrison came back to us as evening fell, but we tarried where we were with no thought of dinner, for the French battery near the river had opened upon the British ships with red-hot ball, and presently we saw one of them wrapped in a torrent of flame. The fire spread with amazing speed, running along the rigging and to the very tops of the mass, while all around was thunder and lightning from the cannon. Even as we gazed, there came a blinding flash of flame that rent the ship asunder, and ten seconds later a mighty roar, which told us the fire had reached the magazine. The blazing fragments fell back one by one into the river and disappeared. "'Come, boys, we must be going,' said Mr. Harrison at last, and we followed him, awed and silent." Another British ship was set in flames next day, and in the three days that followed we could see our soldiers working like beavers in the trenches, which advanced every hour nearer the enemy. Meanwhile all Virginia had come to see the spectacle, and on the morning of the 17th was gathered in a great throng exultantly watching the work of our batteries, when of a sudden the firing ceased. A murmur of anxiety ran through the crowd. "'What is it? What has happened?' asked everyone, looking fearfully into his neighbor's face. "'Could it be that, after all, the prize was to escape?' Some thought that the munitions had run out, some that the French ships had been driven away, and a great force under Clinton landed. But presently came word that Cornwallis had had enough and asked a parley. What joy there was that night at every board within reach of the good news, and in what mighty bumpers did loyal Virginia drink the health of the first of Virginians and his men. How shall I describe the stirring spectacle which took place next afternoon? To the right of the Hampton Road, the Patriot Army was drawn up, veterans of six years' service, with torn and faded regimentals, while to the left facing them were the French, brilliant as toy soldiers. Down the road for more than a mile stretched this living avenue. Presently there broke forth a great storm of cheering, and I saw the tears rolling unchecked down Mr. Harrison's face as he gazed at a man sitting a white charger, riding slowly along the line. "'Tis the general,' he whispered. "'This is his hour of triumph and reward.' God knows how he has earned it. Near him, on a great bay horse, rode General Rochambeau, gorgeous in white and gold. He was, no doubt, a gallant soldier, and great general, but there was something in the quiet dignity of the other which caught and held the eye, which fired the imagination, which needed no ornament to set it forth. Men and women sobbed aloud as they saw him there that day, and cheered between their sobs like mad things, and thanked the God that had given him to America. Then a great silence fell upon the crowd. There came the beat of a drum from the British line, and the conquered troops marched slowly out of their entrenchments, seven thousand of them and more, their colors cased, their arms reversed. 
Colors and arms alike were surrendered to the victors, while the regimental bands played a quaint old air, forgot these many years, the world turned upside down. End of section 9 This recording is in the public domain.